As a professor, I often get visits from students when things are not going well in the classroom. It's not uncommon to hear about endless hours they spend studying and then the poor grades that come from those efforts, which seems contradictory. And there's myriad excuses and maybe legitimate reasons, but what I often find is not that they aren't studying, but that they don't know how to study or they don't know how to study for the way they learn. So there's a saying that I sometimes share to enter into a conversation about study habits and it goes like this. The system you're using is perfectly designed to produce the results you are experiencing. Now I heard this years ago and I loved it. It applied to everything in my life, relationships and study habits and job searching and even my journey of faith. Many of us report having some sort of spiritual experience in nature, but we don't know what to make of it. Is God communicating to us through what he made? If we struggle to make sense of how the heavens declare the glory of God, there are two options. Either there's nothing there, which could be, but you all know if you've been listening to this, I think there is, or more likely, we're using the wrong system for finding understanding in nature. Hello, I'm Dale Gentry, and welcome to the Disciple Science Podcast. I'm an ecologist and a professor of biology at a faith-based liberal arts university. I see the world and sometimes my students struggle to connect the dots between science and their Christian faith, but that doesn't have to be the case. I find great joy and harmony in my life studying birds and following Jesus. So I help start Disciple Science to produce short videos and a podcast and other resources to help Christians see the compatibility of faith and science and to present nature as a way to encounter God in a whole new way. We believe that science and theology together can produce a fuller picture of reality and that science can inspire a strengthened walk of faith. Now let's get on with the podcast. We are nearing the end of our discussion of natural theology. For some of you, that might be very disappointing. For others, that's a relief. Although if that's the case, you're probably not listening. Okay, either way, we're almost done, and I want to uh, wrap up today uh, with what I have to say, and then we're going to do an interview soon and move on to a different topic. But for those of you that might be joining us for the first time today, uh, let me just introduce this topic. Natural theology is a concept that takes many different forms, and I'm not trying to address all of them. But what I'm most interested in is the idea that we can somehow know God and encounter God through what has been made, that somehow the creation and nature is a revelation of who God is. Now, this is both uh, contradictory to our experience of nature if we've basically been trained as scientists to try and ascertain how it all fits together and how it works. But I think in other ways, it resonates with us as followers of Jesus or as readers of scripture that do see how it's both taught, we're told in Psalm 19 or in Romans 120 or in other areas that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge, on and on, right? So we're told that the heavens and that creation is a revelation of God. 
And we uh, elaborated in a previous podcast on how that those patterns are actually found all throughout Scripture. It's, it's ubiquitous, the use of uh, images from nature, um, uh, sheep and light and rock. And uh, I was just thinking today about uh, the first chapter of Isaiah and how it uses snow as a metaphor for our sins being washed away. Uh, this is very prominent on my mind because I'm surrounded by snow every day in Minnesota in January, as is the norm. It's snowing outside right now. And so uh, we encounter these metaphors for our journey of faith and for our understanding of God and Jesus uh, in the natural world presented to us by the authors of Scripture. So we um, are encountering natural theology in our reading. We all, or at least many of us, report having spiritual experiences when we spend time in the outdoors or peering through a microscope or gazing into the stars and that we feel the presence of God. But in my experience, many people just don't know what to make of that. They don't know how to make meaning out of that because we're told, I think part of the problem is that in our a secular world, when we encounter nature, we are taught how to understand it, how to decipher the mechanisms that make it run, and how to understand the contents and identify the species and pose hypotheses about how they all fit together in the world. But we are never taught in a science classroom, and I actually think we are rarely taught, even at church, how to make meaning out of the world. We're taught how to understand it, the mechanisms behind it. We're not taught how to make meaning out of it. And the uh, cynical, um, atheistic scientists would say, if science can't find meaning in the natural world, it's because there's none there. Whereas the Christian in me, and I hope the Christian in you, uh, is open to something more than that. And it's willing to acknowledge that there might be meaning there, but we have a hard time finding it. And that's what I'm interested in ex exploring is why is it that we're having a hard time finding it? My theory, uh, and this is not my pet theory, but one that I've encountered in, in dozens of books is that, um, we struggle to understand it because of just our modern mindset. And it's an outpouring of the enlightenment and it's an actual unintended consequence of the uh, Christian Reformation, that when we all gained access to a Bible, then we stopped looking for God in nature, right? So these are all fascinating patterns that explain why we struggle to make sense out of um, our relationship with God through the natural world. So I want to see if we can come up with a training and this is just one little piece of that because this is a topic we will probably come back to in future videos and maybe future podcasts, uh, distant future for those of you that are tired of this. I promise this won't go on forever. But I want to somehow try and provide some training for Christians for how to seek God in nature uh, because this is an aspect of our faith that I think is, is weak. Uh, most Christians don't know how to... Uh, go for a walk in the woods and put together a theology of uh, the natural world from that experience. What I want to propose today is 
what I think is a, a gentle introduction. It's going to to make meaning out of what we already know is there in Scripture. And we're going to approach Scripture in a slightly different way. And we're going to read it in a slightly different place. And we're going to specify what sections we read. And I hope from that combination of methods, uh, we can provide, we can give instruction to you about how to start putting natural theology into your spiritual disciplines toolbox, right? We all uh, pray and read scripture and participate in a church. Maybe not all of us do, but this is sort of the framework that's laid out for us by our churches and by scripture as well for how to pursue God. I want to add another tool to that toolbox and a tool that can be so powerful because we are surrounded by all of God's creation. And if we can learn to make meaning from it, that means we get to have experiences with God every day, every moment of our lives. We don't have to wait for time to read scripture. We don't have to wait for prayer. We can just um, reflect on what surrounds us and grow and develop a meaningful faith from there. So the method that I want to propose is one that will be familiar to some of you and maybe foreign to others. Again, it's approach to reading scripture, and it is called Lecto Divina. If you haven't encountered Lecto Divina before, it is, um, it sounds a little bit uh, mystical, um, but it is Latin for divine reading, and it is an approach to the scripture that encourages a slow pace paired with prayer and reflection so that rather than trying to race through the scripture, you are repetitively returning to the same passage and making new meaning from thoughtful, prayerful, slow-paced approach to scripture. Now, I don't want to belabor this and uh, go off too far on this. Any of you that have access to the internet can look up Lecto Divina, but I do want to just give a, a very short framework for how this process works uh, and, and then give you some instructions, maybe even an assignment. Ooh, this could be a class. That'd be so fun. Maybe I'll give you an assignment, no grades, but just an encouragement for how to go out and encounter God in nature. Okay, Lecto Divina, how does this work? The first process is just to read through a passage of scripture uh, slowly and just listen. Uh, just, just pay attention to the words and phrases it contains and consider if any of them really stand out to you as prominent or interesting uh, and wonder if there's something that you should um, return to and reflect on as you continue through this passage. So first step is just listen. The second reading, you're going to read back through the same passage you just read before, and the second time you're going to read it and you're just going to think about it. You're going to, you're going to ponder what it contains. You're going to contemplate what the author was thinking about when, when he wrote it. You're going to uh, enter into the mind of the author and, and consider the, the Holy Spirit that's guiding this process, right? And just say, what is it that I am supposed to take away from this passage of scripture? So that second reading is a pondering. It's the thinking. So you read it 
and then you just sit on it maybe for four or five or 10 minutes and let it, uh, you know, re- just bounce around in your brain. My, what my lovely wife has this, um, one of my favorite metaphors to some of you will be entirely foreign, but when she has something that's just rolling around in her brain, uh, and she has a hard time letting go of it, she says it's on the hot dog rollers. If you've ever been to a convenience store in the United States, especially back in the 80s and 90s, they don't seem to be as prominent anymore, but you'd see these rotating um, little systems. They would just throw hot dogs on there and they would just roll and roll and get browner and browner. And apparently they must look delicious. Maybe they were a little bit, although I'm not such a big fan of hot dogs now, but that's the idea, right? These ideas go in her brain and they just they just churn and, and, they, and they roll around until they turn into something more concrete. So throw this passage of scripture on your metaphorical hot dog rollers and see what comes out. The third reading is the prayerful reading. So you're going to return to the passage once again and you're going to ask God for insight. Uh, Lord, what is it that I should get from this passage of scripture? What is it that you want to teach to me on this day? How can I apply it to my understanding of you, to my understanding of, of my, my place in your kingdom, to my um, pursuit of you? Right. So the third passage is all about engaging with God in prayer and asking for insight about that passage of scripture. And then the fourth and last reading is once again, um, uh, where you sort of combine all, all three of those, I think. So when I am in, engaging in Lecto Divina, in my fourth time through, I'm, I'm thinking about what I thought. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. I'm thinking what I thought uh, in that second stage where you're pondering and contemplating the meaning. And then I'm in, trying to incorporate and listen to God uh, about what I, from my, my prayer. And uh, I'm trying to integrate all of those together to see if there's not some new meaning that didn't uh, appear in my first or second reading through. Okay, so you can see that this is not something that is uh, designed for um, efficiency. This usually takes me uh, a half an hour to go through even just a short passage of scripture, to read it four times, to think about it and pray on it and contemplate it um, and give it the the space it needs. This is this is the definition of having a quiet time, right? Being able to set aside a little time and encounter a passage of scripture with this kind of depth. So what I love about this approach again, is that it's more than just reading because I'm one of those people whose brain can sometimes go on auto drive and it just um, immediately jumps into analytical mode or it immediately is skipping ahead to what I'm thinking about doing five minutes from now. I just want to read my Bible and get through it so that I can then read this other thing or go finish the dishes or whatever it may be. But it forces you to slow down. It forces you to be repetitive. It forces you to reflect and pray on what you um, read. And for me, that's when scripture is, is most meaningful. Psalm 1 says that we should meditate on it day and night. And I have read the Bible many times over. And when I slow down and read it like this, I feel like I've never read it before. Like, this is so amazing. I encounter new things that I never remember reading before, and it's powerful. So uh, is, is that all I'm re- suggesting, just reading the Bible in a new way? How is that related to natural theology? Here's where it ties in. 
So what I want to recommend is that you use this approach of Lecto Divina, reading prayerfully and meditatively, uh, and you should do it in the context of God's creation. So go outside. Uh, this is going to be my recommendation in so many cases and for so many things. I just think spending time in God's creation is going to change your understanding of it and uh, allow you to make meaning out of it. So number one, go outside, find somewhere beautiful and peaceful where hopefully you won't be too distracted or disturbed. Um, If the weather is like it is where I am in Minnesota, that means bundling way up or maybe finding an indoor place. Uh, Just down the street from me in St. Paul, there's this wonderful Como Conservatory where they have uh, an indoor um, uh, plant display and a little rainforest and this wonderful room full of ferns and a display of bonsai and uh, a little zoo. It's just the most marvelous place. You can even go in for free. I know probably not all of you that listen In fact, I'm certain not all of you live in the Twin Cities, but I hope that you have some similar resource near you where even if it's kind of wintry out and you're not into spending a half an hour outside in the cold reading your Bible, you can find somewhere indoors and warm that's still full of non-human life. So the first step is find somewhere where you are surrounded by creation. The second step is read a passage of scripture that is explicitly asking you to reflect on creation, that it's explicitly providing meaning for nature, right? We struggle to find meaning in nature, but it's not because it's not there. In fact, all throughout scripture, uh, sometimes in long passages and sometimes just in brief little verses, uh, God's creation is uh, applied to our understanding of of our journey of faith and the story of Israel and the story of Jesus and metaphors that are designed to teach us uh, about these things. So pick one of those passages. Some of you might just default to the first page of the Bible. That's certainly a story about nature that is familiar to many of you, and that's a good place uh, that I think is designed to teach us that our surroundings and this world is a place of worship, right? It is inaugurating our existence as as a temple. It's uh, creating our, uh, our uh, a framework for how we can look at the world as a place to worship God. But I would actually sec- suggest something else. Uh, there are a couple passages that I really love, and they are meaty and deep and insightful. And the first one is Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's a poetic masterpiece that gives an account of God forming and upholding creation. Now, I think from some perspective, it is a a poetic reflection on the creation account in Genesis. But even more than that, it presents God as the sustainer of life and the sustainer and upholder of all of the systems that keep our our universe and our earth functioning. And when I go out and read Psalm 1, and I've got good chunks of it memorized, and I can just sort of um, recite it in my brain as I'm out for a walk, it really transforms me. It, it helps me to see the world entirely differently because science teaches me and trains me to see it 
as mechanistic, you know, that gravity makes this happen and the laws of physics drive this thing and the, our understanding of cause and effect and predator-prey relationships and sun and photosynthesis. And yet Psalm 104 presents all of those being upheld by God and directed by the Spirit and that we can then present science as a study of how God acts rather than thinking it's what's happening when, when God is not present. Uh, Psalm 104 gives me a different framework for the world. So that's a wonderful one. Another one that I recommend is the end of Job, uh, roughly Job 48 through, uh, or sorry, sorry, Job 38 through 41. Uh, the first 30 some odd chapters of Job, if you've ever read it, are a really kind of fascinating reflection on Job arguing with his friends about the problem of evil uh, and and Job experiencing tremendous pain and suffering, but saying, look, this is I'm not suffering this because I've done something wrong. And his friends are like, no, no, you did something wrong. You must have, right? And he's like, no, I didn't. And they're like, yes, you did. And no, I didn't. And they say, yes, you did. Uh, the whole point is that Job is trying to figure out why his life is so hard and why he's suffering. And then finally, at the end of the book, God comes in and starts asking questions like, what do you know about the way the world works? What do you understand about how the animals find their food? Who do you go to when you seek the truth of, of the, you know, just the, the ways of the world? So fascinating that Job asks, why am I suffering? And God answers, what do you know about my creation? This is very humbling it certainly gives us a window into the, the reality that there's more going on than what we can see and what we can understand. Uh, but it also helps us to understand God's view of his creation, that God um, sees it as something magical and mysterious and worth reflecting on, right? He's asking Job to reflect on it in his answering about uh, suffering. So if you read uh, those chapters of Job, you will get a whole new sense for the way God sees creation. Okay, so these are just a couple of examples. There are others that I could recommend, but this is just a good place to start. Find a quiet place out in nature. Sit and read Psalm 104. Sit and read the end of Job. Read them. Think about them pray about them, reflect on them, allow them to circle in your hot dog rollers in your brain. And I suspect when you walk away from that experience, you will have a whole new understanding of how God can be understood through what has been made. Now, this is just the first of other suggestions for how you can encounter God through creation. This is an aspect of our faith that has faded away. If you dig into the history books, you find it was a big deal. It was so prominent 500 years ago, and then it it faded. And, I, and I'm here on a personal crusade with some friends and colleagues that, uh, that agree with me that, that think that this is worth uh, bringing back into our spiritual journey. 
Thanks for listening to the Disciple Science Podcast. Disciple Science is a crowdfunded nonprofit that is exploring the intersection of faith and science. We're based in beautiful and freezing cold St. Paul, Minnesota, and we're hard at work on two more videos, one on how to ease the tension between science and Christianity, and another on what the Christian gospel says about environmental stewardship. We hope all these resources will help you see a vision for how the study of nature can be a valuable contribution to your walk of faith. We want to make all these resources available completely free of charge, which means we really need your assistance in making that happen. Each one of these videos costs about $5,000 to make because uh, it takes an animator about two months to make it. Um, And so all that money goes to, to paying those animators. If you're willing and interested to support production of these videos and the production of the podcast, you can contribute uh, via the support button on the disciplescience.com website. And if you're digging around on the website, you can also explore the rest of our resources, sign up for our newsletter, and send us feedback about what you want to hear more about in the future. If you want, we would also appreciate your help by rating and sharing our videos and podcasts and telling your friends about Disciple Science. I want to thank Caleb Davis for producing this episode and for composing our theme music. I'm Dale. Thanks for listening, and we'll do it again soon.